0: Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond, with your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen.
1: Uh, So we have some kind of just random questions while we we have you. Um, I think probably the majority of coaches, I think, you know, in the club and high school level, it's a lot of by-hand stats. Um, so just curious, yeah, what what stats would you you take by hand uh, during a match um, when we don't have you know all the the high tech stuff with us?
2: Yeah, I mean this is it's something I think of a lot. Um, and, and to be completely honest, like when I'm coaching my club team, I, I'm not taking stats. Um, it's my my issue with a lot of in-match stuff is either you're gonna kind of trust your gut of like, all right, hey, I'm I'm pe- playing Billy all he's been doing is just shooting the line. Hey, all right, you dive. I run like, maybe we just need to make that adjustment on the fly. I don't, I don't know if that's true for Billy. No, it's but, true. Okay. Perfect. Oh, it was in transition. It was Um up. Yeah. Right. I watched that Cancun match, man. You were siding out. There's no problem there, <laughs> but um, yeah, okay. All right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But um,
1: what was the question? <laughs> oh, it, adjustments? Yeah, yeah, no. And in match stats, like what would you, it, it sounds like you wouldn't stat anything, but. I guess if you were, yeah. you were going to.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the issue you really run into is just sample size, right? Yeah. Of, hey, okay, I, I've, I've scouted 10 matches of Billy and I know that he really likes to shoot the line. Okay, well, we get into the real match and it, maybe it's the wind, maybe it's whatever. Maybe he knows that I've scouted him and all he's doing is just cutting it. He's just cutting it. He's just cutting it. You know, at what point do you deviate? right? From that scouting report, do you need in-match stats to tell you like, Hey, Billy on the cut shot is hitting, you know, 800. Maybe we should do something about that. I just, I've never been comfortable making major adjustments based on such a limited sample size of data. Right. And I just don't know that you could feel confident even statistically saying, Hey, look, I've seen this kid hit five balls. Okay. He's, I know what he's going to do. This is way different than normal. And, And at the end of the day, I get like, maybe you want stats for the parents or something like that, but unless you're gonna take action with them, like, unless they're gonna change your behavior and we're gonna do something different because of the stats that we're taking, then I don't know. I, I think people wanna take stats in matches, but I don't know. I, I, I struggle to find a lot of the value in that, I think.
1: What about in, um, let's say you had a tournament with multiple matches. I don't know, You know, where you got a big enough sample size, whatever you think that would be. say it's four or five tournaments, and you wanted stats on your own team. So you could go into training the next week, more objectively, um, mm. you know, maybe you're going through the film and again, like if you have to do this stuff a little bit by hand, I don't know if people actually have the time to do that sort of stuff, but <laughs> if they did, what, what would you want to look at?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'd probably just try and look at where we're, where we're creating value, um, you know, where we're having success and, and where we're not, and, you know, hopefully with enough data, you can kind of establish at least a baseline, right? Where, sorry to pick on Billy again, but like, all right, Billy on his high line, he's, he's usually hitting 600, 700, right? Ballpark. Right. And then, Hey, I get, you know, we get into this match, man, it's just, it's just not working. Right. And you could kind of maybe tell, Hey, we want to pick on this player a little bit more. Maybe he seems like he's having an off night based on what I know his baseline is. And I've got a few numbers down here, right? He's, he's, We've served him maybe 10 balls or something, you know, maybe by like the third, fourth switch, maybe step two, something like that where, Hey, I don't think it's his night. This is really the guy we want. We were going to go John, but we really want to stay on Billy because we we've seen that he's struggling relative to well, where we expected him to be. Um, that's, that's probably how I would use some stats. If I was in, if, if I was in a tournament like that. Cool.
0: And I could see like hitting percentage and passing percentage, helping the coach determine who should be playing or be on the court. Um, But in a game, do you think there's any value in, or what is the value in sharing that with the players? Um, Because I assume that like hitters are trying to get kills every time, but do you think there's um, some benefit in saying, Hey, you're hitting this. Maybe to add to making more risks or taking fewer risks, or would you even bother sharing that?
2: No, I mean, I think i've I've listened to the talk enough about some of this external focus and and what you should be thinking about during all these big moments, and I just don't think those things mesh very well, especially at the youth level. maybe maybe for you guys, right of just like, hey, I understand what I need to do. Okay, this isn't working. okay, let me go to let me go to the well over here. but for at least for younger players, if I go up and be like, "Hey, man, like you're not hitting very well. Like the first thing they're going to say is exactly what you said. Like, dude, well, I'm trying. I'm like, I'm not trying to get blocked. Like I'm, I'm not trying to hit it out. Right. So I think maybe you could use the opposite. Right. Um, you know, I think there's that great clip of uh, Steve Kerr, you know, talking and talking to Steph mm-hmm. and, you know, Steph's kind of down about something. He's like, no, nah, man, like, Hey, this is you when you're in, right. This plus minus right here. Like you're not, your sh- shots aren't falling, but look how much better you're making us. Right. And you could kind of maybe elevate a player who thinks that he's having a bad day. Being like, no, nah, dude, like, yeah, you're not scoring a ton of balls, but you're making no errors. You're recycling the ball and we're setting the guy who's hot. Like you're being a great team player and you're helping us win this match right now. But I, I definitely I don't think I would use it in, in the inverse of like, hey, you think you're kind of hot stuff right now? No, no, no. Let me cool your jets. Like, mm. I don't I don't see how that helps my team win by if I heckling my own guys, really <laughs> heckling them too much.
1: Yeah. Have you looked at a volleyball example of that, like that basketball version? The you know when Steph's saying we're we're up this amount. Is there any anything
2: similar to that for volleyball? Oh man, I wish. Um, we got to we got to get more. We got to get more coaches mic'd up on on the on the stands. You know. It's, yeah. Uh, I think it, it's tough to get that sometimes. I don't know. I've heard I've heard Kevin, uh, you know, try and pump people up by just hey you know, hey like don't worry about your passing. Like here's what you're hitting. You're doing great for us. You know we're gonna shift the court a little bit or just, just trying to, it's really a reinforcement thing and kind of a reassurance, uh, more than anything of like, Hey, like, don't worry about the scoreboard. Like, you're doing great. You're doing your job. Like, stay with us. We're going to get it going here. Um, but it, it's always in a positive sense for sure.
1: But there isn't like a stat that, that, you know, if, I guess there's less subbing in volleyball compared to basketball. We're like, I mean, I guess, I guess, you can get that like, Oh, when this setters in, you know, we're, we're plus this many versus when this DS goes in or, you know,
2: yeah. I, I mean, you could kind of think about it like a six, two, you know, you hear coaches talk about like, Hey, like, you know, Hey, you're up, You're the score differentials, you know, plus one, when you go in, like let's make sure it's at least plus two by the time you come out, you know, from this mm. little six 2 double sub. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I haven't, I haven't heard of, or, you know, really run across too many, too many stats like that. I mean, it, I, I think it's tough, right. Because you're just not popping in and out of the game quite as much. Right. Right. Um, but I mean, you have a DS, like, especially on the women's side, like, you have, you have those small kids playing three rotations you could, you could use some numbers to hype them up and Hey man, like you're passing nails and you're seeing some really tough serves. And and if it's going well, like, Hey, like we should be hitting, you know, really well off of what you're giving us. So, Hey, keep doing your thing.
0: You talk on your blog a lot about the goal of trying to predict the future with stats. Uh, Why do you frame it that way?
2: Yeah, it was, it was kind of just a, spur-of-the-moment thing. I thought it was cool at the time. Um, so I'm having to having to rationalize it now, unfortunately. But <laughs> the nice thing, I think, well, two things. I think a lot of times coaches use stats to explain the past, right? Of like, hey, you know, well, Long Beach sided out against UCLA in this championship match, you know, at this rate. So therefore, of course, they won, right? Or Texas, you know, didn't side out what they needed to against Kentucky. So naturally, you know, they wasn't their night. And and a lot of the major stats are really good at predicting or sorry, at explaining the past. Um, But my idea is like, if you could predict the future by definition, you must know what's important, right? Like if you know the levers to pull on to affect the future, then by definition, you know, which levers are key, right? And Hey, maybe it's not, you know, just digging the ball. Maybe it's really important to always make a great decision as an attacker. Or maybe it's always important to get a good touch on the blocking system against, against a great offense or whatever it is. And if you can find the right things that predict outcomes, right. Then that can inform how you train, how you coach, the things you spend time on, you know, club coach. I got four hours a week to try and teach 17 year olds, how to play a whole complete game of volleyball. I don't have time to do everything. Right. And I can't, I can't teach them the you know, Carambula skyball you know, every day. Like I just, you know, that's like two minutes once in a while, but, other than that, like we gotta, we gotta be great at passing, attacking, and blocking, and we'll figure out the rest. So that's that's why I think predicting the future is kind of kind of the important uh, end goal.
1: What do you think of having uh, like standards? Like you know, oh, we know you know Long Beach State cited uh, out at this percentage, and that's what it took to win a national championship. So you know, now we have these standards we're going to try to hit. You know, and you know when we don't, we know what to work on next practice. Do do you think you? is that too broad or do you think you you should use standards for teams? I
2: think, I think standards are the nice thing about standards is that they're really easy to put together, right? If you just wanted to, Hey, look who won the last, whatever FIVBs. Let me just pull their side out numbers. Let me pull their attacking numbers. Okay, great. You need to attack at 600 on first ball. Okay. Well, that's the gold standard to whatever be Norway or something. Um, the problem I have with standards sometimes, though, is that you have to take into account your opponent, right? And so I'm really thankful to uh, to Nate Go. We've had a lot of a lot of conversations about this. That I don't need to be a standard to beat. Again, like I'll, I'll beat John in this case, right? Like I don't I don't need to hit X to beat John. I need to be like John plus one to beat John, right? It's it's that I I don't have to outrun the bear. I have to outrun you kind of thing so while I, I think they're good at establishing kind of a north star and especially if you don't have access to a ton of data I think it's, it's a really good thing to put together quickly but in terms of predicting the future um, I think benchmarks are still a little bit more on the explaining the past um, mm-hmm. kind of side of the tracks.
1: And what do you think about, um, you know, say you have a, a tight race between a couple players on your team for a position. You got two outsides who just to the eye, you can't tell, you know, who, who should be in there. What do you think about using stats from practice to, you know, try to be more objective? Oh, you know, she's outperforming her. So, you know, she's got a higher hitting percentage. We'll, we'll start her. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that passes the eye test. Um, I, I understand that practice is, is not a competition and, again, to steal another line from Hambly, like kids are way different with the lights on and you got to gotta, you gotta kind of figure out who can play in, in big moments. And those kids mm-hmm. aren't always the ones who shine in practice. So if you can find drills where the energy is flowing, the juices are going and it's getting competitive, it's getting chippy and you feel like it's as close to a real match as what you can simulate in your own gym, then I, I would trust those numbers um, as, as some kind of barometer for maybe who should start over the other. But It's it's tough, right? I mean, there it's it is apples and oranges at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But I I don't know that I can honestly tell you that one is better than the other. um, Mm -hmm. That you should or should not trust practice stats. Uh, I don't I don't know how that is bared out in reality. That that's probably a good question for for Nate or Jeff or Joe. Mm -hmm. Of hey, you guys code all the stuff in the USA gym. Does this stuff you know show up in matches or is it different by player? right um is is kelsey robinson and and jordan larson are they always just these ballers in practice and in matches or you know do you have some kids that are superstars in one but struggle in the other
1: right so something else that you had mentioned one of your blog pieces that really jumped out at me i hadn't thought about this idea that you know the original side out game was where a lot of our stats would come from when the only way you could score is when you're serving right and now we play in a rally scoring game, but a lot of those, um, I guess, relics from the past have carried over. Um, Sorry to use that phrase. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, how, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, could you kind of take us through like that influence and and maybe in a, maybe negative or positive, um, how the side out games affected how we view the game now or stat the game?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting question. I, again, it, The nice thing is that I'm the chief editor of this blog because it's, it's just kind of my thing. And so I I don't really report to anybody if I say something that's totally wrong. Um, But it just seems that coaches are always talking about side out and point score. And, and really like when I think about those terms, I'm like, yeah, like when I pull up like a video of Karch, like in 1991, you know, ripping down a net or something like, all right, sure. Like that's fine. Um, But there there's just so much more granularity I think these days and especially once you move to a rally score, every point matters. And I understand that, you know, it's what it's physically impossible to lose a set. If you point score higher than your opponent, like that makes sense. Um, but you know, if you keep serving out, like you'll lose matches these days. Right. And, and and because every point does go on the scoreboard to some, to some extent, um, I just I just think that we have to cut those those metrics a little bit more more finely, and and while they are cool catchalls for overall performance of a team, you know it's it's really I really like looking almost just kind of like a point ratio or a point differential because like once the serve goes and like that first attack comes like you're just playing volleyball like it doesn't really matter at that point like did you serve or receive like you're, everybody's in transition right so. I don't, I don't, I can't say for, for certain that those things are having a negative effect or anything like that. Yeah. I just, I just, I see them as a little bit outdated and that I think that we can just do better.
1: Yeah. Well, it's cool. You're, uh, I think, making people rethink and, and question a lot of this. So, uh, a lot of good stuff here. We had a, a few listener questions. The first one uh, from Tyler Witteson, who you mentioned, <laughs> who, uh, but of know, course, he's, he's with, uh, the usa beach and does the analytics for the national team um he was basically just asking what what we could do with uh, beach tracking software maybe you could explain what that is and um yeah just was he was wondering what responses you'd have about um what we could do with defense offense and how it changes over time and impact side out
2: yeah so there's this really cool guy who it would be remiss of me not to give a shout out to this, this guy, Ben Raymond and, and one of his buddies, Adrian, they, they're down in Tasmania, you know, down, down under. And they are, they are academics kind of by trade, but they are these great data scientists guys who have actually written a lot of scripts in, in some programming languages to basically take data volley files, chop them up into something that reads like a, a regular kind of table in Excel, and then once you kind of get that going, you can do a bunch of cool analytics. And that's kind of the piece where I, I try and pick up. But these guys are also geniuses in that, they're, right now they're working on some ball tracking stuff and, and being able to use computer vision and some of the, um, some of this stuff that's come out of Facebook and, and whatnot to detect images. And, and so being able to track the volleyball and track all of the players on the court, um, throughout a rally and see how defensive formations shift and see how the ball travels and and maybe you could grade setting better. So I think, especially on the beach, you know, i talk to Tyler pretty, pretty often. And I understand it's, it's probably really difficult, right? Because there's a lot of variation in where the ball gets played, obviously only two players. Right. But you don't always know, like, hey, like, are people like, what's the blocking call? Like, where are we going? Are people like splitting? Is it a four? Is it a three? Are they just making great reads? Like, what was, what was the call on the field? And being able to use all that with ball tracking and player tracking, you could just see like, okay, Anders started here, and then he jumped three feet here. And you could mm-hmm. be like, okay, well, that's this type of block move. And then you could basically automate a lot of these analytics of, okay, that works really well for them. Let's make sure not to hit low cross court in this situation because Anders really likes to make this move
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, and being able to understand formations and I don't know. I, I, it's, it's really interesting. I I'm excited about it as you can probably hear me ramble right now, but <laughs> I, I don't know that I have an answer yet. It, it's stuff that exists in soccer, in, in basketball, in the NFL, hockey's I think getting closer on some of this stuff. But volleyball is still a little bit away from this. So I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for the day that that comes because I think it'll be really interesting. And, you know, right now we don't have a great metric for evaluating setters. Hey, like, does this setter just put this hitter in rhythm, right? Like not the ball in the same spot, but like based on the situation, does she mm-hmm. put this hitter in rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. Billy's on the floor. Okay, I got to give him like a little bit more juice or whatever. Um, I don't know. I think there's a really exciting kind of possibility when when ball tracking hits volleyball mainstream. I'm excited for it.
1: Yeah. It got me thinking as you were saying that, um, kind of how to how to track or stat was, this would be for beach, like the changing environments like a deeper sand, harder packed sand, wind, yeah. things like that, you know, where, you know, in tennis, I'm sure there's tennis has got some good tracking. Like you know, you know on the clay, like Nadal has this advantage because I don't know, some of the way he you know hits with spin. Like it could be interesting if there is those sorts of differences, you know, if we could track the environmental changes. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, no, it, it's funny. It comes up with Tyler pretty often too, but I mean, it's, it's tough, right? Because how are you going to track, you know, the wind? Does it change throughout a match? Right. Well, okay. I have my little weather vane up on the top of stadium court. So if I'm playing off on the side, I'm getting hit with a lot of wind, but I'm on the stadium championship court. Okay. The wind's totally different until I skyball or whatever. And I think all that's really interesting. And you'd probably find guys who play really well in, in deeper sand in, in some shallow pack stuff in, you know, Hey, you go do this tournament in China and say 115 degrees and 98% humidity, like who, who's going to be able to handle that. And yeah, a lot of, a lot of the stuff with beach is, is just so external to mm-hmm. actually touching the ball mm-hmm. um, that it, it is a really interesting problem to, standardize across matches, yeah. right? Where again, Billy might be hitting a lot of high line now that's cause there's no wind, right? And he's gonna run it lower and faster and and hit back into the wind when when that gust starts coming. And you know, why would I want all that data of him shooting the line if that's not gonna be representative of the environment we actually play in? And yeah, finding a way to kind of standardize some of that stuff would be really cool. Um, but it's, it's certainly a complex problem, definitely.
1: Yeah. Well, if you get some free time and want to do it for me at LMU, just <laughs> just let me know. I'm I'm uh, I'm always looking for volunteers. Uh,
2: oh man, you you suckered Chris in. What are you talking about, man? Yeah, you already, got, do... you already got your NorCal
1: folks. I got lucky to get Chris, uh, and I actually have you know Joe's been Trinzy has been helping us out a lot too. So we got some good people. Um, Tyler has one more question. He says, uh, "What indoor players should be playing beach?" It sounds like he's recruiting for <laughs> USA here.
2: Man, I I don't know. Um, all these all these kids are just getting bigger and bigger. It's stupid. Um, I don't know. I mean the, uh, the I mean the Gardini's of the world, you know, from BYU, right? These big six 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 seven guys with ball control who have range, who have touch, who see the game really really well. You'd probably be okay down in Manhattan. Um, you know, I know people joke about like a you know, a Jalen Jasper or a Gabby Fernandez or, or like somebody who's just massive, like a Ben patch, like, Hey, just put them out there. Like we'll teach them how to pass. It'll be fine. Maybe I, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, we're certainly in, in, a, in a realm of some big outside hitters and, and some big pins and man, maybe you can sucker a couple of them to, to give up the indoor game, the, the indoor life living in Florence. To, to train on the sand and, and L- rock it on the AVP and lose money playing with
1: Billy, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: but you have a great time, Gary. Exactly. Right. Yeah, lifestyle. Great. That's all. That's what. That's what's important. Yeah.
0: Uh, so we have another listener question from Casey Kreider. He asks, "What information is most relevant to coaches during matches?" I know we kind of talked on this a little bit. Come on.
2: Yeah, it's classic Casey repeat question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean during the match, like. I mean, the biggest thing for me is just, like, the stuff that matters and the stuff that you should be paying attention to is the stuff that you're going to action against, right? Um, so if that's, hey, I, I have a couple of outside hitters. So we, we had this issue at Illinois. We were, we were, playing, we were playing Penn State, and we have, we have one kid who's a little bit more consistent, you know, a little bit higher floor, but a little bit lower ceiling, right? And we have another kid who's, like, a little bit lower floor, but, like, could, could be the MVP of any match, but you just you didn't know there was a lot of variation, and and we got into the first set, and you know our our higher floor, our more consistent player, you know was was just kind of getting dug. They kind of had her scouted out. Maybe it just wasn't her night. Hey, no worries. Um, you know we were able to bring in this other kid with a lot of variation, and and that decision I think ended up helping helping with that W. Um, so I think it's really about how are you doing relative to expectation um and i know i've got some stuff on that but you know if, if you're if you're meeting an expectation then great there's probably no issue right but if you are consistently getting aced early in the match like hey maybe maybe it's not your night. i don't know i mean again it's it's a small sample size and you know i don't i don't want to pull pull a another gms carl mcgowan thing but like the p- people regress to the mean right like at the end of the day like hey you just got aced five times Okay. You're not going to get ace for the next like two weeks now, or like, how does that regression to the mean work? So I don't, I I think it's tricky. I I honestly just think it's tricky because coaches want to feel like they're doing something. And I feel like taking stats feels like you're doing something and you want to make an adjustment because you think it's going to work. Um, But you know, the question that I, I come back to people with is how often do you ever like circle back to these decisions you made with an in-game adjustment to see if they actually worked out or did you lose faster? Right. Like, did you just feel good because you did something or was this actually beneficial in in my experience? Hey, we play Friday, we play Saturday. Dude, I don't have time to go back and like, look at my decisions and like see if all these things like made a difference. Like we'd moved our deep defensive positioning over here. Like, I don't, I don't have time for that. I got to scout for this next match. And I just, I think it's a tough task um, to be held accountable for that kind of stuff for sure.
1: It wasn't the response I was expecting on those questions. Like you have a blog dedicated uh, to understanding stats and you're like, no, don't stat.
0: Eh.
2: (laughs) You know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, one of the, I think, I think the core thing with the blog is just, you know, if we can put everything in the same language, then, then everything we can understand. Right. And uh, I wrote something during the ABCA week um, about expectation versus reality. And it's it's one of my favorite things that I put out there. So I'm going to, just kind of pitch myself for like 10 seconds if that's cool um but it's it's using all these expected values to see like hey look you're you were gifted 10 really good situations as an as an attacker your expectation was here how did you actually hit on those a little bit lower right maybe 200 points in expected value and in, in this point win probability right and, and we can do this for players over the season and so you can see why katherine Plummer was the freaking mvp right? Because she takes really tough situations and creates a ton of value. And that I think is, is where I, I enjoy taking the blog in and where I, I see there's some value. I, I just, I always run into the small sample size problem when it's, you know, a quick in match adjustment, you know, you're playing three sets. Is that enough data to completely change a scattering report or would it be better just be like, look, I've seen John play for years he looks like he's off on the cut shot. Hey, John, let's, let's find some way to, you know, hit the line a little bit more. And I think trusting your gut is, is better in some cases.
1: Hmm.
2: Sorry to disappoint though.
0: <laughs> no. And Casey has one more, um, is serve and pass really the most impactful skills. Like we typically hear.
2: I think about this a lot actually. Um, and the worst answer I can give you is yes and no. Um, you know, getting ace is a huge liability. It's a huge issue. Um, but passing a two or passing a one, I think, is only a little bit worse because the systems that we have in play aren't ideal, right? So again, to kind of cruise back to the women's collegiate game, you know, you you pass whatever you pass it to twenty feet up and up and down. You know, setter runs through, chucks a high ball to the left side. The ball is at eight off the net, five feet inside. And they put one with some pretty good pop cross court at the libero. Libero digs you somehow perfectly in system front one and you lose. And, you know, I think if we had better systems for these medium to poor passes, you could raise those values. Um, And in some cases, I think that attacking then becomes the biggest rock and the most important skill, right? Of you have to kill it when it's your turn to kill it. And you have to be really smart when it's not your turn to kill it. And with our current system of, you know, setting high balls and people are just really bad at hitting high balls and just make a lot of errors and get dug. In that case, yeah, servant pass does make the hugest difference because if you're not in system, it's really difficult to score. Um, and, And people that serve tough, right? You take them off the net. And you can you can win a match just beating somebody because they're out of system but I think if people play out of system a little bit differently um, you could probably increase your your expected value your kind of rate of return on that so, so here hearing, yes no.
1: hearing you talk about it it makes me think maybe people aren't going for aces enough if you know giving up aces is you know a big negative then do you think serving people are playing it too cautiously
2: yeah I think there's certainly a, a debate to be had there um, You know, I think you see it more on the men's side and I know, I know John Sparrow takes a little, a little slack for for being really aggressive from the service line. and I'm sure that's informed by, you know, watching all this overseas stuff, but there's so much value created in acing your opponent that if you can do that without hitting a ton of balls out of bounds, that's a perfectly valid philosophy. Um, That being said, because of how people are playing out of system, um, I really, I like, uh, I remember I was listening to this podcast, I think, and I think it's Hugh McCutcheon, where he's like, hey, we just want to put a good serve in the court often, and that's about it. And you look at some of his best teams, Sam Swenson, like 2% error, and one of the top servers in the Big Ten, in an in like opponent expected side out, just because she never misses, and she's always good, right? So they're always like, they're passing like a two, like a one, one five. Right. And just because she takes away miss serves, you know, that's a totally unique style that it works for her, but there's certainly a conversation to be had of like, maybe the women should just, if, if the women's game starts mirroring the men's out of system and people are scoring at a high clip out of system, then yeah, you got to start hitting it way better from the service line. Um, Cause the rate of return of getting an aces is, is there.
0: Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you. It's a lot to chew on and I'm sure our listeners are going to look at your blog and ask you plenty of questions and pick it apart. Now that you, you say you have nobody editing it, but once you get a bunch of comments on there, that will be like the, the same thing. Help. Turn off. Turn yeah. Off that. yeah. Um, give us your blog one more time. because It's not com, right?
2: Uh, no, it's a blog. It, it seemed it seemed like it made sense at the time. So volleydork.blog was available and I, I snatched it a few years ago.
1: Cool. Well, Maybe Chad... we could do some sort of Danny kinda uh, re- <laughs> reboot on the blog.
2: You've got me sold already. Yeah, yeah. Bring that guy back. We need more. Billy will work. My, my seven. Yeah. My seventeens need to need to know who this guy is, man. The Gator. Come on. <laughs> Nobody knows the Gator. How are we gonna yeah. be Brazil on a high net? Like, unbelievable. Do
1: awesome. you know that Billy is Billy's the creator of Danny kinda? Do you know that? Oh, see, I'm too young to know that. This is great. Uh, you didn't
0: know that.
2: See. Well, thank you, thank you for your service. It yeah, unbelievable. True. That's it's. it's a, it was the best.
0: It started as a, a joke to send to my coach, a re- funny recruiting video. And then, uh, it just kept growing and I eventually started writing myself in cause nobody recognized me for, <laughs> so I needed some sort of credit for
2: it. Yeah. And I mean, that was, if you walked into like our beta, gym back when I was playing 16, 17, 18s, right. I mean, this was like right before Beijing and then Oh nine kind of, I mean, obviously the, the peak of that video. I mean, people were just yelling "Gator," you know, like <laughs> Moneyball. Money—I mean, Moneyball was the every time you get like some crap dig, you're just like, "Coach, Moneyball." was just, oh man, those were those were good times. So I I, I appreciate that. It's it just made awesome Philly's to year right there. Yeah, yeah we, awesome. got, we need more Danny Kemper for sure. For sure.